can be seated, I'm going to uh, do a little bit of review, and we're going to get into the Word of God, and we'll read lots of Scripture tonight as we continue a series on apostolic identity. Last Wednesday night, uh, Brother Jury taught on the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, attitudes that we should put on, and attitudes that we should put off according to the Scripture. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. It is impossible to negotiate with the devil. It is impossible to reason with lust or temptation to sin. The Bible is very clear that the only way to deal with sin is to run, to flee youthful lusts, to flee fornication, the Bible says, to do what Joseph did and run for your life out of Potiphar's house from his, the temptations of his wife. The only way to deal with the flesh, and we're not talking about the body, but our nature to sin is to kill it. You have to crucify it. And that's what the Bible taught us. And I've learned through experience and from the Word of God that according to Galatians 5.16, this I say then, the Apostle Paul wrote, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can spend your life dueling with the devil and fighting the flesh or you can kill the flesh and walk in the Spirit. In other words, the Bible gives us a positive approach to overcoming temptation. If you walk in the Spirit, just by walking in the Spirit, you will have the power to defeat the flesh. So walking in the Spirit. And then Galatians 5.25, that same chapter, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He makes a differentiation between having the Holy Ghost and allowing the Holy Ghost to have you. Between just being born again and allowing the Spirit to rule in your heart by the Holy Ghost. So he said, if you're filled with the Spirit, if you're a Spirit-filled person, you live in the Spirit, then the next step of that is to walk that out and let us also walk in the Spirit. So the only way to put off the wrong and put on the good, the only way to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life, not fruits, one fruit that is our characteristics of the Spirit of God, really the character and nature of Jesus Christ, the only way to do that is for the Spirit to do that. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And we know that we bring grit to the grace of God and we discipline ourselves but it is always a work of the Spirit. In Galatians, we just read three verses from Galatians. Galatians, one of the key ideas, Paul asked them a question. Have you begun in the Spirit? Are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? You started this Christian life with an infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now do you think that you're ever going to get good enough, smart enough, live for God long enough that you're going to overcome the flesh by the flesh or by willpower alone? Paul said it is by the Spirit that you live this life. 
And when Paul says walk in the Spirit, uh, the word there has an interesting uh, meaning in the original, a little more than we say walk, but it means to march in battle order. In other words, to be in step with the Spirit. So we're not just walking randomly, we're walking in obedience to the Spirit. One other word study says to fall in line, to obey the leadership of the Holy Ghost in our lives as the Word of the Lord works in us. So it's important for us to know while we're teaching on apostolic identity that at no point along the path of life do we believe that you can do this by ability alone. You cannot legislate holiness. We do believe in standards of righteousness and apostolic identity, but we know that this life is lived by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you think about how fruit grows on a tree, you can sweat over it, but if you have the right seed, if you have the right soil, the right environment, God put life in that seed. And if you bring everything to that seed, it will grow naturally. And while we read our Bibles and study and memorize Scripture and fast and pray and walk with God and worship and serve and all the things that we do in the Christian life, it's not like there's this three-step plan to developing the fruit. It is a process. And you may not be as far along in that process as someone else, but if you are in the process, you're on the highway of holiness, you're walking with God, you're walking toward perfection. When the Lord saved us, when you were born again, He declared that you were holy. You had maybe just repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. You had not yet kicked any habits, righted any wrongs, but the Spirit of God in you declared you holy. The Bible says He justifies us. He makes us just as if we had never sinned. So we are declared holy. He puts the Holy Ghost in us, the Holy Spirit in us. That makes us holy. But holiness, or the process of sanctification, is walking it out. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. So it's not this or that. It is we have the Holy Ghost. He's declared us righteous or holy. So now, because we have this Spirit in us, Walk it out. Discipline yourself to live the Christian life, and it is a lifelong pursuit. But I wanted to bring a little balanced perspective to this idea of holiness, that we are declared holy, but then we walk in holiness, and we grow in wisdom and the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians 7.1, moving into uh, the sections, and this was new what I just said, new material, and uh, this holiness series I've taught here over and over for many years. It's been a while. Brother Drury and I are team teaching it, and, you know, he approaches it a little differently, but it's the same Bible, you know. Isn't that amazing? He and I are both teaching from the same Bible, and the Scriptures are the same Scriptures over and over, but we need to go back and revisit them. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Having therefore these promises, and if you'll go back, 2 Corinthians 6, it's all those verses about come out from among them and be separate and don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And if you will, 
I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then having those promises that if we will live a separated holy life, that God will be our father, then because we have those promises, we get into chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Well, that's something we do. Cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfected holiness is inward and outward. It is flesh and spirit. Tonight I'm going to deal more with inward holiness, character issues, and I'm not sure I'll finish, but I'm going to make a great stab at it. I believe that it is the most important. It is a starting point. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, and I'll reference it later, you get the inside clean, and it gives you the resources to get the outside clean. The priority is inward holiness. I've had people tell me through my life, well, I know somebody, they look so holy on the outside, but they were a gossip. Brother Jerry talked about busybodies, you know, nosy people last week. And they tried to paint a portrait of an apostolic person as someone who looks really good on the outside, but is wrong on the inside. And I will never let that be the portrait of a Pentecostal, of an apostolic. My mom's sitting here. We were not raised in a church where it was acceptable to just look right and live like a devil. We were never, no one in this room, no apostolic oneness Pentecostal person has ever been raised in an environment. If you were, it was unhealthy and now you're here. Here, let's just say you've never heard it said that it's okay to do all the sins of the Spirit as long as you get the outside looking right. That will never be the portrait of a Pentecostal. And don't you ever let anybody try to make that the broad stroke of the brush and say that's who we are. We don't believe that at all. We believe if we cleanse our spirit that the Holy Ghost will work in us. Matthew 23, 25. Here it is. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you may clean the outside of the cup and platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. That is the approach we take to biblical holiness. You've got to get it right on the inside first. Luke 11 says essentially the same thing. Jesus taught the importance of having pure motives in serving God. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, I'm not displaying this verse, uh, but Jesus said the light of the body is the eye. If your eye is single, and he's speaking about your motive, if your motive is right, then he said your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is evil, if you're looking the wrong way, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. And he said if that light becomes darkness, how great is that? And then he speaks about no man can serve two masters. And these are all related. They're 
one verse after the other. You will either hate the one and love the other or hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which can mean money or that which money supplies. So here is what I've learned from the Bible about living for God. That if you get the goal right, if you get your motives right, if your eye is single, and Paul said in Colossians to, to set your affections on things above. If you get that right, then your whole life is going to tend toward God. But if your eye is always somewhere else, you know, Paul said, Demas has forsaken me having loved this pleasant world. If your eye is somewhere else, and I've seen people, and you have too, we say they've got that faraway look in their eye. You know, you can see that the spiritual light is on, but it is dim, and they're just, their eye is somewhere else. Years ago, and I hesitate to tell stories like this, I had a person, I'll leave it like that. And this person, the Lord spoke to me one day. I was a, a young adult or an older teenager, probably 20, 21 years old. And, and the Lord just spoke to me, and this was a young lady that, that I'd known for years. She loves the world. And I thought, well, what does that mean? She loves the world. And what no one knew at that time is that she was in a relationship with a person that was not godly in any way that led her away from the Lord for many, many years. And I thought about that. I, I was trying to understand what the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't that she loves this sin or that sin or this thing or that thing. She has a love for the world. John told us in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man or woman love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is impossible to love the world and love God at the same time. You're either going to, to steer your life toward godliness or you're going to steer your life toward the world. So Jesus said that getting your motive right, a desire to please God, is the most important thing in the world. You know, God took, Sod, uh, took Lot and his family, his wife and two daughters, out of Sodom. But he didn't get Sodom out of Lot's wife. And, and the idea in the scripture of Lot's wife looking back was more than just a glance over her shoulder, I believe. Her heart was still in Sodom. And people who come out of the world, but they're always telling you how great it was in the world, how successful they were in the world, how much fun they had in the world. Paul said, because of Jesus Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and you count them but rubbish or dung in the King James that I may win Christ. Paul said, I've left everything behind, but the way I value what I left determines where my focus is. So to get the heart right, you've got to say goodbye to the world, get it out of your heart, amen? Get your heart set on heaven. More than anything, I believe, is to maintain a sincere heart. It's what the Lord told Joshua, or Joshua said, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. We love the truth. And some people 
hold the truth, but the Bible says they hold it in unrighteousness. They've got it, but they don't really live it. They don't understand the spirit of the law that Jesus wrote in their hearts by the Holy Ghost. So it's important to not just have truth, but to make sure you live for the, for the Lord in sincerity. Ephesians 6.24, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, without a mixed motive, without one eye trying to look toward heaven and trying to look at the world at the same time. It doesn't mean that you won't be tempted or have struggles or as I've talked through the years, Moses saying we passed through all these pagan countries and you've seen all of their abominations and, and when you saw it affected you. But be careful, Moses said, that a root of bitterness was not planted into you because of what you saw and you become idolatrous or evil, that that root bears gall and wormwood, that it grows up into something you don't want to be. Amen. So we're talking about this inner life, and I want to spend some time on integrity, and I'll touch on a number of subjects tonight. They're all connected to holiness, but various aspects of inward holiness. Honesty. Have anybody ever read the ninth commandment, Exodus 20, 16? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. We are people of the truth. Amen? We are people who tell the truth. We do not believe in lying for lots of reasons, but thou shalt not bear false witness. And Revelation said all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. If you lie and repent, that's one thing. If you are a liar and you have a pattern of lying and you're living a duplicious life, a hypocritical life, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. The Bible also says that we should not steal. Isn't that crazy? We're not allowed to steal and be a Christian. Ephesians 4.28 let him that stole, steal no more. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands. The thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. You should work, and then you should be generous, and you shouldn't steal. One of the basic teachings of the Bible is a respect for things that don't belong to you. You should not covet the things that don't belong to you, right? You, you wish that they were yours, and that means you would take them in an unethical or illegal way. Uh, the Eighth Commandment happens to say, Exodus 20, 15, Thou shalt not steal. Now, the Lord could have been more subtle about that, but He said, don't steal. So, if it doesn't belong to you, don't take it. And this forbids robbery, extortion, taking someone else's possessions by force or by threat or by stealth, by embezzlement, by graft, by bribery. And uh, there's a number of ways people steal. I'm going to go through quite a list of them as quickly as possible. To embezzle is to take some money that's a violation of trust. In the Bible, the word is purloining. Graft is the unscrupulous use of your position to derive a profit or an advantage. Money uh, that you get in an unscrupulous means 
is what the Bible would call or what we would call graft. Extortion, I've already mentioned that. The illegal use of one's official position or powers to obtain property, funds, or patronage, an absorbent or excessive charge to people. A bribe is obviously when you pay someone off to get a favor. You give them something for a favor in return. Bribing is wrong. Pilfering is one of those words that is interesting. It's to steal a small amount. Filch. Steal. It's just a candy bar, after all. And they're making a profit on uh, shopping here. It's not big. I, I work here and I am underpaid. So it's okay for me to just pilfer away the goods of a store. I remember an owner of a business one time paying for everything, little things. It was his business, private business. And I asked him about that. He said, I want everyone to know that we pay for what we consume in this store. He set a good example that you don't steal that way. Now, there are a lot of ways that people steal. There's common theft, you know, somebody breaks in your house and steals. There's tax theft. Amen. I know there are gray areas and tax loopholes, but, but cheating on your tax return is a sin. It's stealing. There's customs theft. You travel out of the country and come back in and don't claim what you bought and, you know, you don't take play the value of that if you don't declare it. There's debt theft. You owe money, but you don't pay it back. Now, I understand the laws of bankruptcy, but, you know, if you borrow, you should pay back what you borrowed. Someone who borrowed $200 from me about 23 years ago, not in our church, has never paid me back. I've forgiven them. I hope they've repented. And if they could never pay it back, I think this person should have at least apologized or asked for forgiveness. And I would have released them from their debt. Borrowing debt, right? Borrowing theft. There's welfare theft. Taking money from the government in a fraudulent manner that is not rightfully yours. There's computer or electronic theft. It includes pirated software, money stolen from bank accounts electronically, computer hacking, planting viruses that cost companies and people money, internet stealing, other crimes of technology, stealing music, violating copyright laws, plagiarism. You might get an F in a class, but you also might get an F from God for stealing someone else's brainchild. Cheating gives you an unfair advantage and it steals from other people. And you can even steal the reputations of people by undermining them and telling lies about them and that is stealing a person's reputation. Shakespeare wrote this in Othello and I'm not a Shakespeare expert but he said, Good name and man and woman, dear my Lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls who steals my purse Steals trash. Tis something, nothing, t'was mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he who filches from me my good name robs me of that which enriches him and makes me poor indeed. So we should be careful that we do not steal the character and the reputation of other people. 
There is employee theft. I've already mentioned uh, pilfering. Ephesians 4.28, we read this earlier. Steal no more, labor with your own hands. And Ephesians 6 and 5 talks about servants obeying your masters and being a good employee and not just when someone's watching because you serve the Lord Christ. He's always looking and you should always tell the truth. I read a survey. This has been quite a while ago. So I'm sure this has changed in America as America has become a lot more godly nation. Workers admit that they spend 20% of their time goofing off one in five days. 50% admitted to calling in sick when they were not sick and doing it on a regular basis. One in six Americans admitted to using drugs or drinking on the job. One in four say that they give their best effort. Only 25% and only one in four say they work to their fullest potential. You've heard us say over and over through the years, we've done Christians at Work as a series here. We should be, first of all, Christians, godly, which means honest, hardworking, which is a biblical principle. We should be the best employee, and we shouldn't say if they paid me more, I would work harder. It may never dawn on you, but if you worked harder and smarter, they might actually promote you and pay you more. And you may be stuck in a low-end job because you're a low-end employee. Well, that was for free. My goodness. You can steal time. Come in late, leave early, cheat on a time clock. Hard to do with all the digital stuff. Taking extended breaks, loafing when you're supposed to be working. Doing as little as possible, as often as possible. And I know some jobs involve just being there. The phone rings, you answer it. If a fire, you know, there's a fire, you go put it out. I'm not making light of firefighters. My brother's a retired fire chief. But, you know, sometimes you're not supposed to be busy all the time. But if your job asks that, do that. Because you're a Christian. Amen. Not because I said it, because it's a biblical principle. So anyway, you should do your job. Amen. Hardest working person in your business, put in a good day's work for pay. And uh, if you think you're underpaid, this is where it's in my notes. Don't steal time. Don't steal stuff to make up for what you think your employer has not paid you. And then there's workmanship theft. I never thought about this until a few years ago when I was preparing for this particular holiness lesson. You know, if you do shoddy work, haven't you ripped somebody off? If you start a job and don't finish it, isn't that ripping someone off? Now, I understand change orders, and we have some amazing uh, business owners in our church, and God help you dealing with all the people that think you owe them everything for free and it costs you money and time and materials and employees and taxes, etc., etc. They don't understand the cost of running a business. So I understand all of that, but we should do things right. Amen? We should do our very best. And if we mess up, what do you think we should do? If you've been around Atlanta West a while, some of you have not been around here long enough. If you mess up, fess up and make it right. The other day here at the office, I knocked something over, and I said, you know, they actually I broke Brother Drew's desk. I said, you sh- if you, I did. It's a cheap desk. There were five of them. They've all broken. But I did it. I said, you know, you should never cry over spilled milk, but you should always clean it up. If you just say, I'm sorry, and walk away, 
I mean, that, is that the right thing to do? Is that a Christian response to a mistake? You mess up. Don't try to mess up. But if you mess up, it's kind of like if any man sin, right? If you mess up, fess up and make it right. Restore. Make restitution. And it might have been 20 years ago that you wronged someone. If you, it's in your power to make it right, you ought to go back and make that right for conscience sake. Whether that person ever forgives you or not, you ought to make it right because you want to be right with God and do the right thing. There's a big section about phone theft. And I know people use their phone for business and personal use. And there's expense account theft. I'm going to skip the details of that. There's supply pilfering, taking stuff home with you that should be left at the office. And I know people work from home more than ever before, and you may have a home office. As long as you have integrity with what you do, that's fine. But if you don't have integrity, it's a sin. I didn't even hear one amen from that. <clears throat> but, you know, <clears throat> employees, can, employers... Managers can also cheat people. Colossians 4 and 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And when you read that verse, no one should ever feel like they're the head honcho, the big bad boss, they're king tight or whatever of their business or whatever they do. You should always remember that like the centurion if there are people under you, there are people over you. And if you're not submitted to someone, ultimately to God, you are, in my opinion, the most dangerous person in the world. A maverick, a rebel, you are identified with the spirit of Satan, who is the lawless one who refused to be under the authority of God and said, I will Go up and I will usurp authority. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'm going to take God's place. And that spirit, that spirit that gets in a person is a very dangerous spirit. Ephesians 6 and 9. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him. In other words, he doesn't care if you're the boss or not. He wants you to do the right thing. James 5 goes into a section about people taking care of the people that work for them. It's a very important principle. And for talking about stealing, we should probably go to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet, in, in Malachi, it's kind of a Q&A Question and answer format. Well, a man robbed God, yet you have robbed me. God says that. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And the Lord said, in tithes and offerings. Now, you cannot mail them or digitally send them straight to heaven. It has to go through a local church. And Jesus said, God, excuse me, Old Testament, robbed tithes and offerings. And he says, verse 9, because they robbed God in tithes and offering, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me. This is the time God says, put me to the test in tithing and offering. 
God says, just t- try me out here. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field saith the Lord of hosts and all nations shall call you blessed for you shall be a delightsome land saith the Lord of hosts. So if you're not going to rip off Uncle Sam, don't rip off Father Abraham and Almighty God. Amen? The tithe is the Lord's. People also can act fraudulently. And, you know, when I was uh, back in the day, right, worked in a grocery store. Some of you hear a story more than once. I, you know, I don't like to retell stories like that. But worked in a grocery store. When you turned 18, you could work in the meat department. So if you go buy hamburger or steak or pork chop or anything from the meat department, it's going to probably be in a package. And that package weighs something, right? Anybody who knows what tear weight is, raise your hand. You know tear weight? So that means when you put, when I weigh my coffee at night, 74 grams, I put that uh, little glass flask there and I, it says 160 always, and I push the tear weight and I deduct the weight of that cup. And then I put my coffee beans in, 74 grams if you want to know, 10 cups of coffee. Anyway, so, but in the meat department, you had to weigh that and subtract it from the weight of the meat. If you didn't, you were actually charging people not for hamburger, but for the package, and that's supposed to be built in. And I have seen people that I worked with who said, this is a really good sale, and they didn't weigh the package, and that is cheating the customer. Okay, so however that applies to whatever you do in your business, make sure that you have integrity before God. It may be with expense accounts or receipts or falsifying documents or giving false information or defrauding your company in various ways. I've already talked about extortion, but Ezekiel talked about that. Blackmailing people using pressure, you're going to expose them. And the Bible, and for my media, I'm going really fast now, talks about usury or interest rates. And it does not teach that you should never charge an interest rate, but not gouge people, reasonable interest rates. You know when the Bible talks about devouring widows' houses, taking advantage of poor people? You may know this, but some of the highest interest rates are charged to people who can afford it the least. And I understand that it's probably partly because they're a high credit risk, but also it's sometimes, and I'm not trying to judge anybody here, I don't know any reason for saying this, just speaking about the principle, it is an unfair interest rate that, that you have to ask, is God pleased with the profit that I'm making on this particular item or in this particular transition, transaction that in the Bible is called Usury or interest. All right. I want to cover one more theme. I'm not nearly going to get through this lesson. You know, the Bible talks about, and this is inward holiness, but it seems like it's outward holiness, about this small member of your body called the tongue. And I know that it is not that small little flap of skin, but it's the brain that makes it work. 
Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, words change as time goes by, and I've had people say, what makes that a curse word? So I thought tonight I would just give you an entire list of every cuss word. Just say it once, you know. Ask for forgiveness. But let no filthy communication come out of your mouth. And sometimes you've heard a word or said a word that is just stuck there and it doesn't go away easily. And you need to replace it with something more appropriate for someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And slang and curse words should not be part of the communication that comes out of our mouth. Personally, I don't really like to use the name of the Lord in vain. So, I don't say, oh my God, as an exclamation. Or, oh my Lord, because if I say God, Lord, or Jesus, I want to be praying or worshiping, not sort of taking the name of the Lord in a careless way. You can think about that. All the substitute words for the cuss words that we say and I know it can go on and on and on, but there's some words that sound a little bit like Jesus that maybe is, where did that come from? And we should think about the communication that comes out of our mouth. Your words are belated announcements of your thoughts. Out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. And you're going to be judged for every idle word. James 3 has a lengthy section on on the tongue. And I'm not going to go through it. I could spend an entire Bible study. But he said, if you don't offend in word, you're a perfect man. We tame horses. We guide ships. We, do, we tame every animal in the world. But the tongue, he said, it's a little member, but it's set on fire of hell. And with our tongue, we bless God and we curse people. And he said, this should not be so. Out of the same mouth should not come blessing and cursing. So if you're a gossip, that's a sin. If you lie about people and slander them, it's a sin. If you're bringing out something that's under the blood, it's a sin and it is wrong. Leave it under the blood. It's not just about cussing. It's how you use your mouth to either build up or tear down other people in the body of Christ and in our world. And you should say a really hearty amen right there. Because it could be you on the receiving end of slander and gossip Amen. Has no place. And I'll just throw this in here. At Atlanta West, we don't berate people, scream at people, talk down to people. I mean, we might preach and get a little fired up, you know. We treat people with respect because they were created in the image of God. So when that happens, we stop that. So well, I've got, I've got a, a temper that comes from somewhere. It comes from hell. And send it back there and ask God to help you with it. But don't ever excuse it. Don't excuse it. You might have a temper. Don't think you're the only person in the world and you get an exception. It's hereditary. No, it's hereditary straight back 
to the devil. Okay? And I'm being facetious a little bit. Your fallen nature, right? Don't excuse it. Ask God to help you with it. And if you mess up, if you lose your temper... Don't go off in a huff and bluff and say, well, you deserve that. And You know, don't do that. That's foolish. That's insecurity speaking. Amen. I'm going to introduce another subject and then we'll stop. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What know you not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. Your body is not a shack. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I know your body is not perfect. And God could have made us. You know, we're made a little lower than the angels. And aren't you glad that God doesn't look on, He's not limited to looking on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. When I traveled during the days of the youth division, traveled a lot, I saw the super successful sales looking guys, you know, for companies that traveled all the time. And I thought, you know what? I am so glad that the Lord let me be in the ministry. I would never make it as that super successful salesman type guy. I just don't have that. I'm not tall, dark, and handsome. I'm short, bald-headed, you know, and I'm just who I am. But God said, you know what? You don't have to be that to be successful in my kingdom. That's not how I look at people. But your body, amen. So don't limit yourself by your physical attributes or lack of you know, beauty or handsomeness or whatever. Let your character, your work ethic, let that make a way for you in life. And God will honor that and people will honor that. Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And we should work toward self-control. And we should work toward making sure that we keep our body pure from sexual sins, and I have an entire section on that that I will not get into tonight. I told you I'd like to introduce that. But in closing, I just wanted you to see that our entire being, spirit, soul, body, belongs to God. And holiness begins on the outside. And it is expressed by the words we speak, by the attitudes we demonstrate, by the way we dress ourselves. Amen? by the way we conduct ourselves in life. And we want to get holiness inside of us by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then by the grit of discipline and hard work and the grace of the Holy Ghost, we want to really become like Jesus Christ. Amen.